welcome to The Hive Podcast, a show that helps inspire you to pursue your passions and ambitions. My name is Jared Spink and I'm your host. I'm a photographer, videographer, and entrepreneur. Join me as I sit down with other entrepreneurs and creators to learn more about their process, how they've built communities around their brands, and the experiences they've had along the way. I hope that these conversations inspire you to pursue your goals. You're listening to The Hive Podcast. Welcome back to the Hive Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening each and every week. I am back after a little vacation because, hey, we all need a little bit of R&R, but I am really stoked for this week's guest, Ariel Martinez, who actually uh, came across his podcast um, from a mutual guest from uh, Danny uh, Gewurz, and I reached out to, to Ariel while I was on vacation, and he agreed to come on the show. Ariel, man, welcome to the Hive Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really stoked. Uh, you know, I came across your podcast. We've had a lot of the same guests, um, sort of similar kind of niche podcast, but yeah. um, I'm really interested in hearing more about you and then diving into the podcast and and learning from you because you've been doing it for a long time, right? Yeah, uh, it, it's funny how the time flies. Uh, maybe two and a half, maybe going on three years. I. I get lost. I, I know I started in 2017. Um, so, yeah, going on three years, uh, depending on the month, which is slipping my mind right now. Yeah, that's that's a long time in podcast time. I mean, I've been doing this one since March, and it feels like forever. Yeah, it definitely, uh, it, it, not as bad as YouTubing, but it definitely uh, gets to be a bit much depending on how frequent you want to do it. Um, I, I started doing mine three episodes a week, which was insane. Uh, but I kept that up for a little bit, dropped it down to two, then I'm down to one. <laughs> it's, a it's, it's a lot of work and I can't wait to, to talk more about it and, and learn from you. I mean, I've been doing it for three years. But um, before we dive into that topic, I want to learn a little bit more about you and I'm sure our guests um, or my listeners do too. So, um, you are by trade a cinematographer, right? Yes, yes, that's what I do professionally, and um, it's what I get hired to do. How long have you been Very doing much. that? Uh, so I started my business back in 2013. That's when I officially registered a company to do what I do, um, and I, I would even say since then, really, because you know it took a while for me to really find my my niche. I started doing everything. Uh, but I always kept coming back to sort of the basic um, loving lighting, loving production, being on set. So that's usually what I get would get hired to do. Uh, but now more right now, more than anything, I'm doing a lot of cinematography, lighting sets, um, and delivering footage for my clients. So so what kind of clients are you um, are you working with nowadays? So nowadays I'm getting hired by a lot of I want to say it's kind of in the middle. I do I do I do do direct to client stuff, but then I do a lot of like work for agencies that they already know what they want, which is a lot easier when your client knows what they're what the, they're looking for. Um, and so I've been doing work for them and you know, it, it, it's good because I'm not 
sort of directing it, but they are hiring me to put the whole, put their vision together, you know, in a sense on set, you know, and then post-production, they take care of the rest. But uh, that's what I'm getting uh, most of my jobs for now. How do you manage that? I'm curious about that as a cinematographer. How do you get, how do you fully understand what the client has in mind and, and make that come to life? Cause I, I, you know, it's, it's, I've worked on creative projects for clients and it's not always easy to really understand or fully grasp what they have in their mind and to make that come alive. So, uh, so I'm curious how you do that. Yeah. So I can go very in depth on this because, you know, as you grow in these, and not even in the industry, in your own creativity, as you grow as a creative, you understand the power of story. Story is everything. And although we can be on YouTube a lot that I used to be, you know, I still am, but for different purposes. But when I first started, I could, you couldn't get me off of YouTube to learn absolutely everything. And one of the things that I would do, and I still, and I see a lot of people do today, they would learn something new. It looks fantastic, but then they try to apply that onto every single project. Sometimes it, it takes, sometimes it doesn't. It all depends on story. So a good example of this, um, your basic three-point lighting. Uh, sometimes it's useful, but other times, depending on the story, depending on the feel, on the mood, on the tone of the message that your client is trying to portray, you're going to want more shadows. You're going to want less depth, more depth. You're going to want different kind of scenario, different background. All of that determines uh, the story. So, you know, understanding what, you know, the colors, red and blue are completely different colors that tell a different story. Shadows, more tells a different story, less tells a different story. Um, vibrance, the, the, all that stuff really helps portray the story. So starting at that point, understanding that, you know, not everything, you know, one technique is not good for every single project. You have a better understanding of how to cater to your client. So if I have a client, uh, for example, most recently we did a, a shoot for a jungle island, which is a, a local zoo here in Miami. Um, I look at jungle island, there's colors everywhere, incredibly vibrant. They want to showcase their parrots, the, the colors. They have beautiful colors all over the place. It's very colorful. They're obviously catering to children. Uh, so I'm not going to put a moody scene together. I'm not going to put something that is meant to be so emotionally churning. You know, I want to put something that's vibrant, bright colors, less shadows, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of energy. So those stories, like fully understanding the different styles, the different types of stories that you have and knowing when to use them, how to use them, it's very important. And that will ultimately help you help your client get their message across. And that, and that is, I think is extremely important when you're growing, just simply knowing that what you just learned on YouTube, although it may look really, really cool and you might want to try it all the time it might not necessarily be the right tool for the current job. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, it's, it's also important to understand, I think, is who your client is trying to reach, right? And, and yeah. envision what that, who that person is. You know, for, 
for example, um, I think my listeners at this point probably know I do. I mean, my main gig is I do a lot of real estate photography and, and videography. And so I had a shoot yesterday. Um, and it was, it was just a, you know, a modular home, right. In a, in an older community. And usually my videos, um, that I put together are a little bit more fast paced, trendy, some speed ramps, really just kind of like to highlight the house and, and grab your attention. Fast paced music goes great with that, but you know, a modular home and a retirement community, that's not really going to fit. Yeah. Right. So you gotta, you gotta really understand who your clients are trying to reach and, and put the vision together, um, based on that. At least that that's always helped, helped me. Yeah. That was actually the first thing I thought about. Um, it's hard to be creative when doing not, I don't want to say hard, but you have less room for creativity when we're talking real estate because the purpose of a real estate video, right, is to showcase everything, every single corner, showcase how wide, how much space you're going to have in a certain room. So you don't have you're not going to, you could do slider shots, but slider shots are really nicer when you have foreground objects and yep. you can kind of reveal and all that stuff. I think it's more effective if you just get yourself on a gimbal, a nice, very wide lens and just do a walkthrough, right? You could do some creativity. You can do some creative stuff on there, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, understanding that like it's not the same thing as shooting an event, for example. You know, it's not going to be the same thing as like a wedding, you know, it's uh, it's very, very different type of storytelling, but it's all, yep. it's all story really. It is all story. Um, and that kind of brings me to it, to a topic I wanted to talk about with you um, because no matter what you do, um, for instance, like when I was editing that video together, you're like, yeah, okay. Some of these shots, like it's okay. But once you put it to music, mm. it changes the entire vibe and your, how you view the video. It's so important. So, um, when you're putting a project together, um, how important is music and sound effects to you? Um, do you start with picking out a song and does that help you envision how you're going to shoot or do you do it after? What's your process with, with that? Yeah, the best thing you can do is try and have a song ready before you even shoot. Um, I, th sometimes that's not the case or sometimes you already have a great, good idea and you get this with experience, but you have already have a good idea of kind of the outcome, the energy. For example, yesterday I shot at a gym. I shot at a gym where there's a lot of workouts. So I already know this is going to be cut to fast paced music. Um, it was okay that I didn't even have my image stabilization on the camera because I know that those movements are going to help tell and push that same story. It has to have energy and that's what that brings. So music, really helps you relate that. Just look at any video and take off the music, leave the dialogue, and you'll see the it's completely night and day. Um, so in my opinion, uh, music really helps tell your emotion, the, mo the emotion, the message. And if anyone has a background in, in any sort of music, um, I used to, I, I still drum, but I don't, I don't do drumming as much. But um, you'll understand how different notes portray different feelings. You know, you have your high high notes and your low notes and they have, the, and they correlate with high emotions and low emotions and things like that. So that definitely helps push the story. Um, and so that's super important. It really helps sometimes, you know, back when I was shooting weddings and even today I'll still do favors for friends, but 
Um, I don't do it professionally. But, you know, when I'm going to shoot a wedding, I'll ask, I'll ask mainly the bride, like, hey, what song do you like? What song do you want for your, for your wedding? And depending on what they tell me, that's how I shoot it. So if the songs that they're sending me are all fast-paced music, I know that I can shoot a lot more 24 frames per second because I'm not going to be slowing this stuff down because they want it has to fit the music. If they have slow, slow songs, love songs that are slow and, you know, I can that are very relaxing, I know that I can do a lot more slow motion. So therefore, I can shoot more 60 frames per second. So that kind of helps kind of direct uh, the video. And in terms of sound, in terms of sound effects, um, very important, very, very useful. Um, it just helps to elevate your video to just a whole nother level. Like if you ever seen anyone's timeline, not anyone's, but if you ever seen like good editors, good, you know, creatives timeline, you'll notice that the timeline on top, uh, the, the timeline at the bottom, I'm talking, well, Premiere, Final Cut, any, anywhere, the timeline at the bottom, which is the audio, is a lot heavier than the one on top. That's the emphasis on sound. And that helps to elevate the video. And oftentimes people spend a lot more time on sound, on music, on all that stuff, because that's really what helps push the, the story, you know? And, you know, sound, music, sound effects, all that audio is 50% of your video. So in my opinion, I think that's sometimes more important than the actual video itself. Oh, absolutely. I, I'd even argue that it, it's, it's more than 50% of the video. Cause you watch, um, you watch any Ken Burns documentaries, right? Yeah. There is no video. It's all yeah. just pictures with push-ins and pans, but why is it so, you know, it just, you, you get so into it and it's because of the sound design, because of the music and the sound effects, they add so much to any image. Um, yep. yeah, man, it's, yep, absolutely. Now, sound alone can tell the story. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I'm thinking of timelines that I've seen posted on, you know, whatever, Facebook or Instagram yeah, or whatever. Yeah, pay attention like, to the audio section. It is so much more in depth than what's on top. And, yep. you know, for those that aren't familiar, you, your timeline, the, the main timeline is just your video clips. On top is like your color grade and maybe titles. And underneath all that is just sound design. And you look below and it's just, it goes on forever sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's great. Oh, yeah. Any, any movie even Hollywood movies, that sound design, that timeline looks like a hot mess. It's controlled chaos. It's insane how in-depth they get with sound, just layers upon layers upon layers of sound, sound effects, music, any little thing from footsteps to snow falling, car doors, uh, barking in the back, everything is, is just, it's a masterpiece. That's, that's art. That's honestly, that that's what art is, really. Yeah, it adds so much. I want to transition a little bit, though, because um, I was checking out some of your work on your website. I, I watched your 2020 reel. It's fantastic. Absolutely love it. Thank you. Um, but what really caught my eye was a documentary you did. Um, I think it was, was it the kid's name, Zion? Skateboarding? Zion. Yes. Yeah. It, it, I gravitated to that because I grew up skateboarding all the time. And, uh, nice. It was cool watching that little short documentary is what, five to seven minutes long. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. So was that a passion project or was that more of a, a, a team effort gig? That, 
No, that was a that was a passion project. That was something that uh, I put together with my buddy Anthony Saratelli, and uh, we just did a a call. We had a small crew with us. It was like maybe five total, five six people total, um, and but it was all strictly passion. So everyone was volunteer, um, and yeah, that that one was a lot of fun. But it was it was. The story was tough. The story was tough because we didn't, um, we didn't expect to have such a hard time shooting on the day of. We had a story to tell, but the problem with skateboarding, as you probably already know, I used to be a skateboarder myself when I was in middle school. Um, you have your good days and you have your bad days. And on your bad days, if you don't land, you're not landing anything. And we only had one day to shoot and it was his bad day. And so... Not only that, on top of that, he's a kid at the time. So he was, you know, pissing and moaning and getting upset. <laughs> and it was hard to get him motivated to keep trying. Uh, so we didn't get very much good stuff. So we had to kind of change the story up a little bit in post, you know. And thankfully, we had that interview with his dad. Um, and we kind of had to change the story from Zion being such an incredible skateboarder, which he really is. He's still killing it right now. Uh, to you know how his dad is raising his his kids, his three kids. So that's that's usually that's how we had to kind of shift that that story there. For for my listeners, um, can you tell us tell them a little bit about what exactly that that documentary was about? Yeah, so that uh, Zion is a documentary on uh, a father. Uh, blanking on his name right now, um, but. You know, he, he has these three kids and Zion is like a phenom. Like Zion is an amazing skateboarder um, that he's getting recognition worldwide. He's getting sponsorships. He's getting everything. And how um, old is he? At the shooting of the video, he was eight years old. Wow. He was eight years old. And, you know, I decided, man, I want to sort of do a short piece on this. So we followed him around and the idea... You know, he's a normal kid. He's a normal eight-year-old kid. You see him in the pool playing with his brothers just like any other eight-year-old kid. Um, he has a, you know, a skate ramp in his backyard. He has a half pipe there, a mini pipe really. And, um, you know, he loves to to just be a kid oftentimes. And um, he's been skating. And then, you know, the story goes, flows through, you know, his, his brother, um, which is a... Um, oh gosh, blanking on his name right now. Jagger, I think, and his dad uh, saying how passionate he has always been about skating. So we're trying to show that. We go through his past and you see how he's grown up skateboarding and how passionate he is about it. And um, we show his struggles. It shows his struggles. And, you know, his dad is continuously, constantly supporting him through all of that, you know. And then it shows how Jagger is also passionate, but not about skateboarding, about dancing. So you see Jagger dancing and doing some of his moves. And, um, you know, his the story is how his dad is going to support both of them, despite how different they are. And, you know, then they have the little one, which is uh, um, Zion's little brother, who was sitting on his dad's lap the whole interview. He wouldn't get away. Mm -hmm. They were inseparable. So, uh, 
you see uh, he's picking it up as well. And the idea in the video is that his little brother is going to be even better than Zion. You know, when they grow up and he gets better because he started much sooner and he won't, you can't get him off a skateboard also. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was the whole story there. And then we went out to the skate park and get some tricks to kind of put some credibility to the story, but he wasn't landing anything. So we had to sort of shift things around in post. Yeah, he still um, made it work. And, and I mean, it, it's a, hearing you talk about it, there's, there's so much of a story to tell and you did it so well and it's such a short period of time because it was only, like I said, like five or seven minutes long, not very long. So how do you, I'm curious because I love watching stuff like that. Um, I definitely want to shoot more stuff like that. Right. How do you approach um, a passion project documentary um, when you're when you're trying to plan it out? Yeah, so the first thing I look for is a story. Um, I'm currently in the process of searching one out right now. It's it's not easy sometimes because um, sometimes there has to be dynamics in the story. You know, the dynamics here was that Zion was a child, but he's skating like a pro. So that's a huge dynamic there. And then I had to change the story to, you know, his how different he and his brother it are, and then his dad supporting both of them. Um, but then, you know, right now I'm trying to see dynamics in the story. Like I'm trying to see uh, right now I'm currently searching for a new story, and I, there has to be dynamics. There has to be you know, a problem, there has to be a goal, there has to be, uh, a, you know, a solution at the end of the story. So the, the original idea for Zion was we wanted him to see if he could name a trick that he has never landed before. And you don't see this in the video because this is, we had to scrap this whole story. But and then we wanted to go to the park and see if he could land this one trick that very few people have landed, and we were gonna stay all day until he did it, you know. Uh, but he was it was just not his day. Um, and so we had to change that up. But you want to start off with obviously a problem. You want to get a character here. I had three characters, and you want to follow that character and see how they kind of strive through this issue and come to a solution at the end. Um, so right now, obviously in 2020, a lot of people are, are, uh, toughing it out through, you know, the, all the lockdowns and everything. So, uh, you know, one of my ideas was to see if I can find somebody who's been affected tough, you know, and see how they, they find a solution through this whole thing and kind of follow them around a little bit and, and see, um, what kind of story they have to tell. But I want to see, you know, it has to be somebody that has a goal, somebody that is just not trying to wing it, but they're trying to accomplish something, you know. So that's kind of the dynamics that I look for when I look for passion project stories. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I can't wait to to watch your next project. And for all you listeners, if you want to check out some of uh, Ariel's work, I'll link his website down in in the show notes. But um, take a look. He, he's shot some amazing, amazing stuff. So you mentioned, uh, you started back in like 2013. So in, uh, camera years, that's, that's forever ago. That's, that's well, a long time ago. That's actually when I started my business, but I've been doing video okay. for three years before that. So I started doing video for 2000 in 2010. 
never had a business mentality. So I never thought to do it for business. So I was doing it for a long time before that. So a decade, you know, you're, yeah. you're a seasoned pro. So what were some of the mistakes looking back um, when you started pursuing, you know, your creative passion and especially as a career? Um, you, you mentioned some of them, you learn a lot on YouTube and you can't apply everything to every project. <laughs> but looking back, what were some of the biggest mistakes? And you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking doing that? Uh, never try new things on a paid gig. Like do what you're comfortable with and do what you're, you're paid to do. Um, I've made the mistake of trying out new gear for the first time on a paid gig and things that sometimes things didn't go well and that's not a good thing. Uh, so that's test out your gear beforehand. Definitely test it out. Some rookie mistakes and uh, it, it's stupid that it almost still happens today is check your gear, charge your batteries. It's just, this is stupid stuff. Uh, it gets me all the time. Clean, <laughs> clean your lenses, blow out your sensor. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get a little lazy. Yeah. yeah. Have that stuff on set with you. Uh, just yesterday, I literally, I was in the car ready to go and I realized my lenses are not in the car. I had, I had like eight bags already packed up, ready to go in the car. And I'm like, dang, my lens, all my lenses are in this other bag in my other case. And so I had to go back up and pick that up. That would have been detrimental to the shoot. And, you know, it was two hours away. So couldn't just go back and get it. Well, I could, but um, that it's just things like that. A lot of people say, make a checklist. Sure. I'll, you know, checklists are very good. I've never used it one before because every shoot is different. So, but definitely prepare more, prepare more, uh, spend even 20 minutes just thinking about the shoot, mentally going over your responsibilities. Uh, that is super useful now, 20 minutes before I even begin to start prepping the gear, I kind of try to visualize going through the entire shoot and, um, thinking what I'll need. Um, and I can often do that just by scanning around and just staring at my gear and saying, okay, this is, I'm going to need this and this and this, and, you know, take what you need and what you think you'll need. If you don't know you're going to need it, take it anyways. Um, but, uh, it's just that gear wise. Uh, and in terms of client wise, don't ignore the red flags. <laughs> don't, don't do that. I've been burned once, uh, my fault. I ignored the red flags uh, but yeah, when you need to ask for a deposit, um, if it's a very, very big project, don't spend any money out of your own pocket without a deposit first. Cause yeah, don't do that. Uh, what else? I mean, there, there's, there's a ton of these that, that, I, that I've gone through, uh, stash, stash memory cards everywhere. Huh? <laughs> Stash memory cards everywhere, glove every, box, every every backpack. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, no, I, I actually don't do that. I don't think I've ever had an issue with memory cards, but I have had an issue with release plates. I actually, my tripod without a release plate is useless, and as as many of you will know. So I went ahead and purchased because I use Manfrotto, those standard Manfrotto release plates. Um, I bought like seven of them, 
and put them everywhere. Everywhere. Every single bag. Even if it's not a tripod bag. My backpack. My lights bag. Like just hidden. No, just hidden. And literally there have been many times where that has saved my life on set. Just because I didn't know. I forgot it. It's not on the pl- It's not on my camera. It's not on the tripod. Crap. And because I remember, I know I stashed them everywhere. I just went around looking at all my bags. And sure enough, I found one um, when I needed it. So that that was the one that got me the most is the tripod. Uh, yeah, make sure your batteries are charged. Uh, personally, I don't. I used to rig up my cameras a lot more. I don't like to do that because there's just more things that can go wrong. More batteries that you need to charge. More things that you can forget. Cables, all that stuff. So I try to try to shoot clean these days. Uh, the minimum I put on my rig now is a is a monitor, um, and. Yeah, I, I that that's just the way I like to shoot. There's less things that can go wrong, less things that I have to think about. I can think more about the actual shoot. I'll never understand the people that put wireless follow focus systems on their rigs. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I mean, what I mean is wireless with the actual wireless dial on the rig. It's supposed to be wireless, supposed to not be on the rig. For that, use regular manual focus. You know, you're going to turn it anyways. Why add the actual burden of having to charge it and sync it? And that's going to go wrong on set. It's, yeah, I felt like I had to kind of throw that diss in there. But whatever. Yeah, that's, um, that, uh, I get uh, that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, make sure everything's charged. There's literally so many things that that um, I can go through. Just so many mistakes. Hard drives. If if your memory card goes bad once or gives you an issue at one time, throw it out. No useless. You don't want to mess with footage. You know, make sure that your memory cards are in good working order always. As you go through your creative journey, I mean, we all make mistakes. You're, you're going to make them, learn from them, move on. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about gear and I know that you've recently sold basically a lot of your gear. Um, yeah. To, to upgrade. So how important, um, because you've been doing this for a decade, but how important is the gear versus the experience and the creativity? Um, I would say that, <clears throat> I don't want to say the gear is not important, but it's not as important as people make it seem, right? So I recently got, just, just an example, I recently picked up the FX9. Um, are my videos much better because of it? I would say yes, but not why people think so. It's not better because I have a better camera. It's better because now I don't have to focus on focusing. You know, that was something that I did a lot and I got really good at it. I got good at manual focusing. But now that's one less thing I ever have to worry about. And I can focus more on creating, on getting the framing. The less time that I can I focus on actual seeing if anything's in focus punching in, punching out. That's more time that I'm spending on set rather than getting framing, putting a light there if I need to have the light there, etc. So that's just made my job easier. That's the only reason why I would say that my my shooting, my, my footage has gotten better. I get much more usable shots. I don't have to repeat shots more and more because it just wasn't in focus. So things like that is where it helps me make better, create better. Uh, but in terms of gear, it's only important also if you know how to use it. So 
another example is I had the opportunity, the privilege, like four years ago to work with an agency, four or five years ago to work with an agency that had the Red Dragon. And I had it to my disposal for whatever I needed. I didn't, I had it, it was just there. I could take it home. I could use it on my own jobs. It was there. Um, but because I didn't fully understand how, at the time, metadata worked or how raw worked or how any of that worked, I couldn't take full advantage of it. I was underexposing my shots all the time. I was just doing all these dumb mistakes that people think that just because it's red, you could fix it in post. That's not how that works, you know. Um, but understanding how the gear works and why you need it, that's much more important. And like you said, it comes with experience, you know. Um, now, I could get a red if I wanted to, but it's not going to help me. It's actually, I think having a red now would make my my work worse. The way that I shoot, it would just get in my way. You know, I can focus more on getting a, a, a better shot rather than a full on set production. But it, it just comes down to the my style of shooting in the whole run and gun situation and moving fast. So, uh, but yeah, getting gear that works with you rather than against you is very, very important. You need to uh, make sure that the gear that you get doesn't get in your way that it caters to you. A lot of people change their shooting methods or style to cater to their camera or to the gear that they have. But it shouldn't be that way. You're going against your natural instinct, the way you want to shoot. Get gear that that sort of complements that. So that's, that's what I say about that. Yeah, that's, that's such a great point. That's a great point. Um, Definitely don't change what you do based on the gear, but have the gear complement your style. That, that is a fantastic point. So I want to transition now and start talking about your podcast that you've been doing for for three years. Um, why don't you tell tell the listeners a little bit about your podcast? What what it what it's about? So basically, I mean, my my podcast is just like this, where we talk a lot about our business, and right now uh, I'm really focused on helping freelance filmmakers, freelance videographers, anyone that is trying to make a living doing this. Um, that's basically what we talk about. We talk about, you know, everything I've had. Uh, my friend Saratelli, Anthony Saratelli, as a co-host in the past. My friend uh, Mike, um, totally blanking on his last name, uh, as, a, as a co-host at the time as well. But we, we talk a lot about our business. We talk a lot about dealing with clients. Uh, we talk about finding more work, what directories to be on, how to handle bad clients, when to get rid of a client, you know, how much to charge. We have a couple episodes on that. Uh, what we charge back then, what we charge now, uh, <clears throat> you know, how to accept a lower paying gig, how to find those higher ones, things like how to respond to in emails. It's amazing how people still don't know how to respond in an email properly. They're still responding with one word answers. Um, just things like that, practical things for, I guess, managing yourself as a freelancer. And so we talk a lot about that. And, you know, one of the main things that I mention is that, you know, I don't know everything. I'm not, this is, this is my method of doing things. And um, this is what has worked for me. And I consider myself, to my own standard, incredibly successful in a sense uh, because I'm also thinking about my background, you know, where I come from and all that stuff. So 
Um, and I'm very fortunate to be able to share that stuff. So that's definitely what the whole podcast is about. Yeah, it's a very useful podcast. And if you guys want to check it out, uh, again, that'll be linked down in the show notes. But I'm curious, so what got you into it? Why Why a podcast? Because I couldn't hack it on YouTube. That's essentially, <laughs> that's essentially the thing. I just did not have the time, nor did I want to make the time that it took to be really actually legitimately successful on YouTube. And I'm like, man, I'm not a YouTuber. I'm not. If me... Me being a full-on YouTuber means that I have to give away my, essentially my career. I have to literally switch gears and focus on that. It's tough. People don't understand what, what it's like to kind of be a YouTuber, to have to think every single week of new content, fresh content. It starts off great. I know because, I mean, I do a podcast about video production and there's no video. So it, you have to think about the content that you're going to create. Not only that, it takes time to make that stuff. Danny Gewertz, you, who you recently had, he just went full-time YouTube, which is fantastic. He's doing, he's doing, he's killing it right now. Um, but that's what makes him happy. But he's also seen that he can't do both. He can't keep his career full-time and be a YouTuber full-time. So you have to pick one. Uh, Danny has gone ahead and gone to YouTube, and I'm super happy for him. I'm so stoked for him. Uh, for me, I prefer the the work because although, yes, I am relying on my clients, I have a ton of clients, you know, in the sense that my eggs are not really in one basket. Yes, they are as a freelancer, but if one client goes out of business, I still have a bunch more that are still looking for work. That's how I see it. So just like in the pandemic, I had two or three clients that were still working and were still hiring me to do work. I was still employed, you know? So that's kind of how I see it in YouTube. Yeah. I mean, you can have different sources of revenue. You have affiliates, you have sponsors, you have even YouTube itself. I'm not sure how that whole thing works, but it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's such so much pressure to have to have a new topic every single week, you know? Um, I don't think I don't, in my opinion, I'm personally not cut out for that. And that's just the way I see it. I rather clients just call me and ask me for what they're looking for and being able to provide them a service according to what they're looking for. Oftentimes two, three times a week, you know? So, um, that's, that's, uh, kind of my whole reasoning for starting the podcast. The podcast is much easier. It's audio only, you know, and I can just have a conversation just like we are cut that up. It's much easier to edit dialogue than it is to, um, audio only than video. So it's much easier that way. It's a lot of fun. I I've really been enjoying it and, um, just it the, is. the incredible to, people I've got to, to meet yeah. and talk to. Um, it's just, it's been amazing, but you still have to plan out an episode each and every week. For still sure. got to have a topic very, very similar to YouTube. So how do you go about planning your episodes, um, and, and putting them together. I'm curious. It's funny. I mean, I, I don't plan too much. Like I just had Julian Wakefield on the podcast, which it's actually dropping today. It's not out yet. Um, but I just have an idea of what I want to talk about. And I let our conversations like, I know, I know sometimes I'll make a list of questions and most of the times I do maybe five or six questions, but most of the time we're winging it. But then when I edit it down, I make sure that everything is cohesive. Like there have been times where 
man, we started talking about gear for the first 20 minutes, but we got into the real topic later on. So I'll take that later on and bring it back to the beginning and make sure that the podcast starts with that stuff. You know, I don't want, I don't want it to be only about gear. The gear can come at the end, but I want people to come to listen to what they came to listen to. Uh, but I, I, I find a general overall unique uh, kind of point. So, for example, Julian Wakefield um, over in London runs a successful media advertising company. And I've never had anybody in that space. So I wanted him to talk about that. You know, how do you start up that company? You know, for the people that are doing this freelance right now, but have the aspirations to have people employed under them and being able to provide, a you know, social media marketing or whatever advertising services to a client, this would be a very successful podcast. This would be a good episode for people to listen to. Um, anybody that has a unique approach to their business, things that we haven't covered before. I'll like I had Danny come in and talk about being a freelancer, but also YouTube and kind of that that whole deal, because I know people are kind of mixed in in between both of them. So I try to have a unique uh, angle. I try to sort of target that angle. But most of the time, it's all kind of winging it. And, you know, any questions that I would personally have, any questions that I would personally have as a listener, I think about them on the spot. I, you know, it's something that I would be interested to know. Therefore, I would believe that the audience would be interested to know about that. You know, just like I'm sure you're curious as we're talking right now about different things. So that's kind of my approach to it. And then in post, I just kind of edit it down to um, basically just cut out the fat. Podcasting is amazing. And it's, it's great that you've been doing it for uh, three years. It's just, I mean, that's forever in podcast years. What are, what are some of the things you've learned that have helped you make a, a more engaging podcast? I've picked up on a, on a few things like, you know, you want to talk to your, not just your guests, but you want to make sure you're talking to your listeners. So all you guys listening, thank you. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, Good. what are some of the, the tips and, and tricks you've you've picked up along the way? Pay attention to the analytics. Um, definitely make sure that you're following that, not just in overall listens, but listening time. How long are people dropping off for? So <clears throat> my podcasts are usually about an hour, roughly long. But I noticed that people listen to 60% of it. So and I can see in the analytics that they sometimes drop off toward the end. And I realized that's the gear stuff. That's the stuff that um, it's fun to listen to sometimes, but I can see that people want what they want to hear and then they'll kind of drop off toward the end. Um, so I started trimming it down. I started cutting less, more and more and more of the gear stuff and kind of leaving the the nitty gritty stuff. And obviously my the numbers have gone up in the sense that they're listening a lot longer. They're listening to the, the majority of the episode. Um, pay attention to that stuff. Find a good hosting that helps support you. So I host mine on Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout does a really good job of, they have their own podcast that I listen to all the time. They have a lot of great tips and tricks and things that I didn't know about. And they're obviously fully invested in the podcasting space. I really like their their kind of, their, their attitude toward podcasting is very pure. Um, so I take a lot of advice from them as a podcaster myself. And um, get involved in communities, see what softwares are out there that could help better your uh, your podcast and different methods of sort of podcasting, starting the intro, doing your advertising, sponsorships and all that stuff. So, uh, 
yeah, get get familiar with all that stuff and constantly try to improve your podcast. And you do that by ways which I just mentioned, looking at the analytics, pay attention to your audience and um, constantly ask for feedback, you know, see what people are liking and and try to improve and target those kinds of areas. Always educate yourself, figure out what works. I mean, you know, when I we were talking before uh, we started recording how um, my episode with Danny was my yeah. best performing episode. Yep. And looking back, you know, I asked myself, why was that my best performing episode? And it was because it was just a free-flowing conversation. You know, I sent you over a list of, you know, topics and questions I might have, but Danny is just like, nah, like, let's just talk, like, forget yeah. it. And because it was more of just a, a conversational flow between two people, I think that's what really made it engaging for the listeners and so yeah, I agree. You gotta you gotta learn. You gotta look back at what's successful, what works, what doesn't. Yeah, that definitely helps a lot. And um, if you think of some of the most successful podcasters like Joe Rogan, it's just like that. Nobody knows what the, where the conversation is ever gonna go. It just goes. Um, at the same time, you want to make sure that your listeners know your target audience um, and know that they still need some value for their business. You know, um, and but yeah, that's. When I started my podcast and even today, it is a, a free-flowing conversation. It really is. I interrupt a lot <laughs> in a sense that like, I always give my two cents when when they're talking. and it, It's like that, you know. At the same time, uh, they are able to get their point across. I give my two cents to that. And sometimes I end up disagreeing with my guests. You know, sometimes I say, well, that I don't know how that would work for me. You know, I'm... I don't want to say I'm confrontational because I'm really not. I, you know, everyone has their own way of doing things. And that's my main point that my way of doing things might not be your way of doing things. But the idea is that you see that there are more than one ways to do it. Do what works for you. You know, and that's kind of how I always target gear. The gear that I get, the way that I shoot very minimal on my on my equipment might not work for you. Some people just like to rig up their cameras and put wireless follow focus on their rigs, even though nobody else is pulling that focus for them wirelessly. Uh, hey, if it works for you, I think it's I think it's like more mistakes that are gonna can potentially happen. But hey, do you? You know, I personally like to have my hand on the lens when I was pulling manually on the actual physical lens. Some people don't like to do that. It causes more shaky or whatever. But it, it's what works for you. So, yeah. Well, I, I've absolutely been loving the podcast. You guys have to check it out, especially if you're in the the freelance uh, realm of videography, cinematography. You're absolutely going to love uh, Ariel's uh, podcast. Oh, by the way, like you want to tell the guests or not the guests, the listeners, uh, what the name of your podcast is? It's called the I Filmmaker Podcast. That's funny. I didn't even realize you haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called the I Filmmaker Podcast. Um, and yeah, it's available on just about any platform. Spotify, uh, obviously iTunes, Podchaser, Pod, I don't know, the Overcast. And even now on Amazon that they just opened up their podcasting platform, which I don't know if you've heard of. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's brand new. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Guys, check out Ariel's podcast. Um, to wrap things up, uh, I'm curious, you know, we, we've talked a lot about struggles and, and tips and, and your viewpoint on gear and uh, cinematography, but what tips do you have for someone just starting out, whether it's in filmmaking or podcasting? Um, since you've been doing, you know, cinematography, filmmaking for a decade, podcasting for three years, I think um, 
you know, your tips, your input is going to be valuable to, to the listeners. Make all your mistakes as fast as you possibly can, because it's inevitable. You're going to make the mistakes. Um, just make them fast, learn from them fast, and you're going to grow fast. And, and don't beat yourself up. And like I said, don't make those mistakes on a paid gig. Do what you know and what you're comfortable with on paid gigs. But when I started, I didn't have much paid gigs. I just had a lot of church projects and passion projects that I just shot, you know, and sometimes just shot just to shoot. Didn't even make a project out of it. Do that a lot. Make those mistakes there. Learn from them. And uh, you'll grow very, very fast. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, I've always said, you know, fail fast, fail quickly because failure is experience and you learn from that experience. Yeah, great advice. Where, uh, where can the listeners find you and, and check out all your stuff? You've already uh, plugged the podcast, so listen to the I, uh, Filmmaker um, podcast anywhere. Yeah, so it's everywhere. Follow it on Instagram, I Filmmaker Podcast. Uh, I myself am on also very active on Instagram, at Ariel Martinez Films. That's also my website, Ariel Martinez Fil- I'm sorry, ArielMartinez.tv. And... Um, also, the the uh, other Instagram that I have is called Film School. So if you guys follow that, this is also what we run as well. Yeah, I'll link everything down in the show notes. It's um, you know, I've I've been following it all. It's it's fantastic, and you'll learn a lot from it if you fo- follow Ariel. So give him a follow. And as always, I appreciate you guys listening each and every week. If you're listening in the Apple Podcast Player, don't forget to leave a rating and a written review. It really does help. Uh, push the podcast out there to more people and I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you guys next week.